You're listening to The Leaf Report with Canadian Press National Hockey writer Jonas Siegel and the Athletic TO's James Myrtle. One, two, three, four, five. Mic check, one, two. That's what they say in rap songs, James. All right, let's get this going. Um, we are recording this on a Monday afternoon. This is supposed to be a quarterly report, even though a quarter of the season is now passed. We did this a little bit late. Uh, but I still think we should do it. I still think we need to do kind of a check back of the first 20-some-odd games. Uh, but first, before we do that, we need to get into some topics that are kind of hot right now or interesting to us right now. So let's start with kind of what's most immediate to me is kind of what's gone on lately with Mitch Marner, you know, dropped to the fourth line Sunday night, cooled down offensively, not nearly as noticeable. What do you think is, is going on right now? Is this kind of just a rookie being a rookie and having a typical ups and down? I actually think he's been okay. I haven't really noticed him like not playing well. I think that generally speaking, that line's not the greatest defensive line because Bozak and JVR just, I mean, they've always been kind of that. And I wonder if they should shelter that line more if they're going to keep that line together. But I don't mind the idea of breaking up. You put Brown on that line, all of a sudden you've got a better defensive presence on the right wing. And so, you know, that that's okay. The funny thing was, is they put Marner on that fourth line. And I looked at it after the first period and that the fourth line was at a hundred percent possession. They they had like they had dominated. I mean, obviously they were getting easy minutes and whatever. But uh, I was sitting next to uh, Chris Johnston in in the press box, and he goes, you know, maybe it's not a bad idea having Marner in that line because that line can actually do something now. Like that, he actually makes something happen. Whereas before they were, that line has been really struggling all year. Uh, ben Smith's been down around thirty eight forty percent possession, one of the lowest in the league. You know, maybe maybe having a different look there isn't a bad idea. And then all of a sudden, you've got four lines with a little bit of danger on them. And but obviously, when they were when they got down a goal, uh, Marner got moved back up to a scoring line and and looked pretty dangerous. And I thought had a really good second half of the game. See, I was thinking before Babcock did that, just to myself and watching some of the games that I hadn't noticed him like I had before. And maybe like we should just expect that because you know the the pace that he was at before, he was on like a seventy point pace. Uh, and he was really noticeable a lot of games. And, and I don't know, maybe it's just like a rookie playing in the league. He's not that big. I don't know. Like, I, I guess what I'm saying is that I'm, I guess there's just naturally ups and downs. But I like, I kind of like what Babcock has done with some of this. Like he did the same thing with Nylander. It's just kind of like a shock. Like you send him down to the fourth line. You play him with Martin and Smith. And it's just like, okay, you need to get going. And, and you know, even after the game on Sunday, you know, he, he basically said that. You know, I asked him, you know, had, did he see a response after putting Marner back he said not really but you know I had to do it and so anyway I think that's just kind of an interesting subplot he's still having a really good year obviously um let's get to the Peter Holland news obviously traded to Arizona I don't know if I liked how they handled this um it was pretty clear pretty quick that Mike Babcock was not a big fan of Peter Holland but if that was the case and they knew that why do what they did in the summer? What were your thoughts on the way that that situation was handled? It seemed kind of like they were messing around with him a little bit, didn't it? I mean, like, why give him a qualifying offer? I know for a fact that uh, Peter didn't really, th- he, he didn't really think he was going to get a qualifying offer. Like, he knew the organization wasn't that high on him. He knew that Babcock didn't like him. 
And it's the same thing with Corrado, too. They both weren't sure. They thought maybe they weren't going to be qualified. They get to go be UFAs. They could move on with their careers, go somewhere else where maybe they'll be a little bit more valued. And then the fact they weren't, and they come to training camp, and I think, especially Corrado, I think played really well in, and I know you're asking about Holland, but I think Corrado especially played really well in the preseason in the games that he got into. And then, you know, Holland was scratched for a lot, 13 of the first 20 games before he requested the trade. Corrado still only played one game. I think they just both felt like, they felt like going into the summer they weren't wanted, and then all of a sudden they were supposedly wanted because they got qualified, and now they don't feel wanted again. And it was it was very very frustrating, and and I think they both kind of feel, and they're not saying any of this publicly, but you can really read the tea leaves. I think they both feel like they need to move on to like do better in their careers. I mean, they're Holland's only twenty five, Corrado's twenty three. I think. I mean, this they're concerned that this is going to have long-term ramifications for their career. And I don't really understand the play by the Leafs. I, I guess they're thinking about depth and like they were thinking if they had injuries or whatever, they would need Holland, but then they still had Levo there. They've got some guys in the minors like Colin Greening and stuff that could get the, or Brooks like that could come up and play that, you know, you bring them up from the Marlies, it's not going to hurt the Marlies and it, they're going to be almost as good as Pierre Holland anyway. I just, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, you and I touched on this, uh, I think, the last time we recorded a podcast, kind of about how they've been handling players. And I think you kind of hit on some of the key points. But, like, with, we'll get more into Corrado later, you know, in kind of the quarterly report or whatever you want to call it. One-third. Yeah, one-third of the season report. But I don't know. Like, the, the Holland thing, it, it goes back to Corrado and it ties back to Corrado. It's just a weird way of handling players as assets and then not making them assets. Like you're kind of ruining their value by not playing them. But if you consider them assets, then I don't know. We'll get into Corrado more later, but I, I, you know, Peter Holland will at least get another chance. And this is probably his last NHL chance. If he doesn't make this work, you know, you're playing for the worst team in the NHL. He should get some minutes. He should get an opportunity to play. I, I think he's serviceable as a fourth line player on an NHL team. Uh, one more thing, and then we'll get to you know the one-third report. Uh, the Jonas Enros situation was just bizarre, and I think it reveals. And you and I talked about this last or the other day in the press box. I think it reveals an Achilles heel for Mike Babcock, and I think we saw this last year with Jonathan Bernier. He is very, or can be very impatient with goaltenders. And I guess especially a small te- small goaltender like Jonas Enroth, what was your read on kind of that situation? Well, it was hard not to burst out laughing when after Bebo's first game, he's asked about Bebo and what did you like about him or whatever. And Mike Babcock says, he was 6'3 the whole game. I can't do, you can do the, you can do an impression of Babcock better than I can. But that was what he said. That was the first thing he said about what he liked about Bebo. And it's like, wow. Jonas Anroth is the smallest goalie in the league. He's one of the smallest, he's the smallest player in the team. He's one of the smallest players in the whole NHL. But he's a pretty good goalie. You know, I wrote a story about him in in uh, around training camp, just about how how he gets the job done as such a small guy. You look his career numbers. If you take out the the one tank year in Buffalo when when everybody's numbers uh, were were brutal, are are pretty solid. I mean, they're not they're backup numbers basically. I think he's an NHL backup and uh, watched a little bit of the game he played with the Marlies the other night and. He looks too good for the AHL. I mean, he's a very he'll he'll be too good for. He hasn't played there since 2011. It's just 
I don't know. It, it seems like with a lot of these things, there's a disconnect between what management does in terms of qualifying Holland and Corrado and in terms of signing Enroth and what the coach actually wants. And you wonder if, like, is there no communication there or what's going on? But it seems kind of dysfunctional in that Enroth got four starts and then all of a sudden he's sent down. And he was he was very surprised that that happened. He was shocked. Like, he, he thought that he was at least going to get... A little bit more time than that, and I think that I know. I know fans are really down on Enroth because he didn't play well, but the games that he played, the Leafs were terrible. I mean, they. It's not. I don't. He. He might have cost them what one, maybe two of those games, but the team was bad, like in Calgary and you know some of those other games. Well, and and a bunch of things there. He made four starts. Four starts. I'm sure if you compared, and I haven't done this, I keep meaning to, but I'm sure if you compared Frederick Anderson's first four starts this year versus Jonas Enroth's first four starts, they would look probably pretty similar. Anderson might even be worse. Um, and and the other thing is, all four of those starts were in the second half of a back-to-back. Not a, a great circumstance. It almost seemed like Mike Babcock was just waiting for an opportunity to say, okay, yep, goaltender's not going to work. And and it, it almost seemed like the same thing with Milan Mahalik, where you're just waiting for an opportunity to say, I gave this guy a chance. He wasn't good. See you later. Uh, and it's just the the sense I got from talking to Lou Lamorello about how they handled all this was that he wanted Kari Ramo to be their backup. Then they realized Kari Ramo wasn't going to be ready. They probably looked at the goaltending market you know, for backups and said, this is the best available guy. We'll take him. We'll see what happens with Ramo. And if Ramo becomes ready, Ramo will be the guy. The, the evidence, though, like just suggests that that Ramo is basically the same as Enroth. Like if if Enroth is probably better, uh, so I'm not sure why there's this obsession with Enroth being their backup when he was he's fine, but I guess he's I think he's six two. He's six two all night long in the net. You mean Ramo? You said Enroth. Yeah. Ramo. He's six foot. Yeah, I think he's six two. What is he? I don't know. Yeah, and he's he's a heavy guy too. Like he's he's he fills a lot of the net. So you know, it's the thing is, I, I so I we're talking about a lot of fringe guys. Like I think a lot of fans will be like, well, who cares about Holland and Corrado and Mahalik and and Roth? Like who cares about these guys? Thing is, is that these guys are friends with players in the Leafs dressing room. They and I think other players see how people are being treated. You know, Peter Holland had friends on the team, and they have friends around the league too. And I think that. I'm pretty sure that players around the league and players in the Leafs dressing room are kind of like, you know, well, that's interesting. And maybe it's what, like you said with Mitch Marner, it's to keep the Leafs players on edge. And that's what best part of Babcock's thing. But it also, you know, we're, we're in a different era now, right? You know, they talk about how coaches can't just be the old school tough coach because you lose the room. You know, Leafs don't want to lose the room here. They don't want to, you know, guys on the on the lower part of the roster can't always just be thrown under the bus after four games well and and you're hitting on a point you know looking ahead to the future you're asking a lot of Frankie Corrado not to be like a distraction in your dressing room a guy who's played one game you're asking a lot of Jonas Enroth when you bring in basically his replacement have him practice with the team give him a stall and say yeah nothing's going on here like it's just some of this stuff is just I think it's inappropriate. I don't think it's professional. I don't think it's the way it's been handled. And and I mean, if you go back to the Ramos situation, like the explanation on that day that he practiced with the team was ridiculous. Babcock said, "Yeah, Lou Lou is doing a favor to the agent." That's not that's not the way a professional team should be handling its business. I I, I just it it I think it can go the other way too much, where teams are too loyal and too compassionate. 
But I think this is swinging too much the other way. The other one is Mahalik. They send him down. He gets five games. He, he's played on the first line against the other team's best lines. Looks out of place. I mean, he's Mahalik's a, four, a third or fourth line guy at this point in his career. Uh, send him down. They take Ben Smith off waivers. I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast or not. They gave Ben Smith Mahalik's number. Like, basically, like, Mahalik, you're not coming back. Like, you're 18, you know. It's not like we're, we'll are we save this because you're going to be down and you're going to, someone gets hurt, you'll be back, and you're still part of the team, and we just don't have a spot for you right now. It's like, nope. <laughs> a veteran guy with, like, a big contract, and it's like, Ben Smith gets your number. It's certainly interesting, and it's certainly interesting when you contrast it to, like, how they handled Frederick Anderson, who we should note. Uh, we talked a lot about him early in the podcast. He's been excellent probably for five, six weeks now, he's really turned around his season. But look how compassionate and patient and sympathetic they were with him. And there is one big reason. He has this big long-term contract and they are betting in, in him. So I think it's it's dangerous when you start to, I don't know, walk that line of this guy is important to us, so we'll be okay with him, but this guy's not. And yet, you know, to play devil's advocate to myself, Mike Babcock has been hard on, on William Nylander. He, like he's not been shy about that so um anyway is there anything else top of mind that we should hit before i ask you some questions okay so i stole this idea from a basketball podcast that you probably don't listen to but other people might it's the starters and they did their quarterly report or quarter report so i'm gonna ask you and we'll go back and forth uh, about some of the first third of the games so the best forward on the team for you through the first third of the season has been who? Austin Matthews. I love the way Austin Matthews plays. I think that he's kind of just scratching the surface with what he's going to be. Sometimes he can be a bit frustrating in that he overhandles the puck and he loses it. You know, there were some instances at the end of the Colorado game, but a lot of the times he makes the right play with the puck. Uh, I noticed his shot totals have come down a bit. I mean, he was at over four shots a game for a long time there, and now he's down to 3.65 or something like that. And I think you want him shooting a lot. You want him having the puck a lot. And um, I'm pretty confident he's going to get, I think he's on pace for 36 goals or something like that. I think he's going to be pretty close to that. You know, I think he's going to be a 30, 35, 60, 65 point guy in his rookie season. And if you look back over the last, I mean, let's say the last, 10, 11 years since Crosby and Ovechkin had those huge years when they came into the league. There's not really, I mean, even Ovechkin was 20 when he came into the league. There are not very many teenage players that come into the, uh, Matthews was basically 18 at the beginning, that come in and, and perform the way he has. I think that he's been really good. I don't have any questions that they should have taken line A, and I think he's been their best forward. Wait, you're saying that they shouldn't have taken Lion A? I'm pretty sure that we can make the assessment right now that Lion A is going to be better than Matthews. I think that's very fair. I'm being facetious, of course. That was just like, I don't know. That I love when media stories become kind of a thing, but like that's any, I don't know. I don't think there was much there. Uh, the, the other thing is like he's playing center. Like if you want to even just compare Lion A to Matthews, he's playing a way harder position all the underlying numbers, like you were pointing out to me, you know, when you look at some of the underlying numbers with, with Line A and, you know, Shifley and Ehlers. Anyway, we shouldn't even get into that conversation because it's stupid. But I think he's had a an obviously a really good year. Are you surprised that he's been able to score as quickly as he has? Like like you mentioned, he's on pace for 30-some-odd goals. I don't think it would be a surprise at all if he gets to 30. You don't see many rookies, 19-year-olds, score 30 goals. Like... And he's getting a ton of chances. Like even during that 13 game drought, he had a bunch of posts. He had 
missed some empty nets. Like, have you been surprised at how easily he scored so far? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I, I kind of thought he'd be in that 28 to 30 goal range, and it looks like he might be higher than that. So that's the surprising part. I mean, if he gets to over 35, I'm going to be surprised. But this is like Mark Crawford talked about having him in Switzerland. He said that he's going to be a shooting center. Like he's going to be a goal scoring center. He's not like a, we typically think, I think of centers like, you know, I'm trying to think of an example. We typically think of them as like setup guys like Nick Backstrom or whatever, that they're the, they're the foil to the, or or like when Adam Oates and Brett Hall were playing together, that, that that's typically the relationship or Wayne Gretzky with all the assists he has, but that's not Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews, this year, I think is going to have more goals than he has assists, and that might be the way his career goes, and that's unique. And you look at some of the – have you seen some of the charts where they chart where his shots are coming from and where his goals are being scored from? They're all right around the net, almost all of them. And the thing is, he's got a really good shot from far out. He's Lately, he scored – was it against Boston that he scored? Yeah, he scored from further out. You know, I think he's got that ability, but for the most part, he's getting a ton of his shots from in close. And if you look at numbers like how many high danger chances he's generating or his his line share of high danger chances when he's on the ice, it's so high. It's like one of the highest in the league, and that's because he's always in tight around the net. Like he he's very good at those wraparounds or at skating out in front and getting off a good shot and I think that when he hits his stride that he can win some Rocket Richard trophies. I think that that's how how good his shot and his ability to get shots off is. That's really interesting because that would put him, yeah, you don't really think of centers that way, and that would put him in conversation. You know, him and Lion A going to battle it out for some Rocket Richard trophies. I went with, I I thought about Matthews, and and he would probably be my second choice. I went with Kadri uh, just because of the difficulty of the minutes that he's playing. I think he's bottom of the team, at least in terms of forwards, in terms of zone starts, the possession numbers are pretty good. Uh, I think he's at about 50% scoring chances. He's putting up some points, which people love because now all of a sudden he's getting it, which is a joke, obviously. Um, but I think he's had a really good year. I think it's kind of a step on last year. It's it's similar to last year, except now he's got some luck on his side. What do you think of his season so far? I think that's a fair choice. I mean, the Leafs are really lucky and I think they're such a high scoring team because they've got great balance. You know, we've we've talked about the Marner line and we've talked about the Kadri line and the and the Matthews line and then there's always well, not always, but there's there's sometimes there's a, someone that has some offensive talent playing on that fourth line as well and I think where the Leafs need to get to eventually is having that talent on every line and and them to get even better. I mean, maybe you had more talent and you don't have Hyman on Matthew's line. You have him on the fourth line and then he's able to generate down there. But you know, I, I, I like what Kadri's done because they needed someone to fill that spot until Matthews is ready to take on tough competition. And I don't think he's quite there yet. Okay. Next category, uh, best defenseman so far. And this one for me, I'll go first. I just, I deb- debated this and I, and I still am not sure I have the right answer. I ultimately went with Riley I think he's probably slowed a bit lately. You've seen his minutes drop a bit, uh, but everything underlying looks pretty good given you know what he's doing since he's played with Zaitsev. Uh, I think it's worked. Uh, point production's been pretty good. He's getting more power play time. The other guy I was thinking about was Gardner, uh, who's played really well, especially of late. He's playing a lot of minutes. Babcock is using him more, which I think is interesting. You look at the, the even strength numbers against Colorado. Uh, he was first. He was first in ice time total I think he's dropped back some of the minutes for your favorite combination of Hanwek and Polak if you were choosing you know who would be your best defenseman so far 
I think that actually there are three guys that are pretty close. I think that Zaitsev's there too. I mean, the Leafs' decor has been kind of problematic with the other three guys, and then it's been pretty good with those three guys. And I mean, Riley's been up and down. I think I would lean towards Gardner, but which is kind of weird to say because he's had all kinds of different partners. At some points, he's been on the third pair and hasn't gotten a lot of minutes in games. But it's been like what, like the last, not just this weekend, but like the last two weeks or something, he's had big minutes. I think he played 24 minutes against New Jersey there in that one game. And he looks really comfortable. And I haven't noticed, the thing with Gardner is you just want to avoid the big mistake. And I think if you do that, then he can be a top two guy. But the problem is he's never been able to do that. And, you know, Babcock was asked about Gardner after the Colorado game. And he said he's, he's very happy with him. And he's just, he says he just wants to avoid kind of the high risk situations with him and Gardner's an interesting guy he's a hard guy to get a read on when you talk to him you know he's uh he seems like he's always got the same persona he seems like he's 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 a perfect example of not too high or too low he's just he's just like this uh I don't know like a good old boy from Minnesota kind of thing like he's just like I don't mean that in a bad way I mean he's kind of endearing I think as as a person and he's very popular on the team um it'd be interesting if he can he can put it together and continue to get better. I think it seems like he shoots shooting the puck more and better. I don't know if his shot totals are that much higher, but he just seems more dangerous. Like he's got more goals than I ever remember him scoring. It seems like he's more, and it seems like he's shooting from closer to the net. Um, the end of the Colorado game, when they're really pushing for that goal, the defenseman they have out there, it's not Riley. Uh, they're using Gardner on the power play, I think a little bit more. And I haven't looked at all the minutes or whatever. I'm just going off the top of my head. It just seems like they're, he, they're considering him more of an offensive threat than before. And it looks like his tools offensively are a bit better. So his, I think he's had 33 points in a season before, but he has all the makings to be a guy that could be closer to 40 if he continues to play like this and he gets big minutes. You hit on all kinds of things, and I this is all top of mind for me. I wrote about him last week and talked to him about some of this stuff. L- at last check, he was actually on pace for a career low in terms of ice time, but it's like it's like seconds um, because he played a lot. You'll remember at the start, point production's about in line with the past, where it's about thirty points, thirty-ish points. Uh, the scoring chance, not like all the underlying numbers are obviously really good. Whoever he plays with, it seems to spike up he's perfect for like the modern game but I thought it was really interesting in talking to him about the different coaches that he's had he said like under Ron Wilson it was great like Ron just encouraged him wanted him to go and then he said under Randy it was completely the opposite you know Carlisle just kind of squeezed him squeezed him squeezed him made him really nervous like to make mistakes and when you have that when you're that type of defenseman if you're nervous to make mistakes you make mistakes and we saw that like it was a really weird time under Carlisle, like it, it looked like they were ruining him. And, you know, there was so much trade talk at the time. And then under Babcock, you know, what he told me is he said, you know, Babcock just lets me be me, basically, and encourages him just to do what he does well. And I think it's good that they have a coach who actually recognizes what he's good at and why it's good. And I think that's, it seems simplistic to say, but what he does helps you win. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you think there's been an evolution? across the game in that sense that defensemen like Gardner are starting to be realized for what they are and what they're good at? A little bit. I mean, if you look at the analytics, there's no question. I know the analytics guys, when they talk about Gardner, they talk about he's their best defenseman. And he's some of the analytics people say that he's one of the best 30 defensemen in the NHL, which seems kind of crazy. But and, and then I know, you know what? I know other teams say to me, like quietly off the record, that Gardner doesn't play high quality competition. Like he does not play against other teams' first line. So you can't say 
Like they think what the, the analytics, some of the analytics guys that are that are on Twitter and stuff like that, saying that he's one of the best defensemen in the league is crazy because he's always on a second or a third pair. I wonder what he would do if he wasn't. You know, I used to like when they when they was that last year they did Gardner Riley together on a pairing. I mean, they were they were exciting to watch together. I mean, I don't think that that's ideal because one of them has to play on 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 the wrong the wrong side for them. But uh, you know what they're paying Gardner, he should be a top four guy, and I think that he is a top four guy, and it's. It'd be good if they could find the right partner for him. Like, I wonder if if they can bring in an elite right D. I wonder if Zaitsev and Gardner at some point make sense as a second pair. Well, because then you could have Riley with X, whoever that defenseman, number one defenseman is. I don't know how you get that guy, but maybe he's that guy. Anyway, we should move on to the next category. What do I got here? Well, and this is probably going to be your answer for this question. The biggest surprise of the season so far for you is who or what? Yeah, I think it's probably Zaitsev, I think, unless I'm missing something obvious. I'm trying to rack my brain here. Yeah, I think it has to be Zaitsev. I mean, most of what else has happened has been relatively... The kids have been, like, overall a little bit more dangerous than I thought. I thought there might be more... They've been... The Leafs have been a better offensive team than I thought maybe they would be. They've put all the kids into better offensive situations, and they should because they don't have a lot of other options. I can't think of anyone else, but like Zaitsev, I didn't. I, I I was kind of worried that sometimes these defensemen come over from the KHL and it's like, oh, the best defenseman in the KHL. Like Anton Bilov did that with Edmonton. Best, he won best defenseman in the KHL, and like, you know, I he, just like a fringe guy. And Med, I think his name's Medvedev, did that for, for the Flyers last year. An older guy, same idea. Like he he had a hard time sticking in the NHL. Zaitsev is an NHL defenseman. Uh, he looks like a top four NHL defenseman. He's been playing top pair minutes for quite a while, and he got there really quickly under Babcock. And he's made a couple of mistakes, but he looks pretty solid, you know. And I, it's to the point like where I'm saying, I mean, if he can find chemistry with Gardner, that could end up being a pretty good second pair for the Leafs. Well, and I think you hit on why it's he is the the answer. I he was my answer as well. Is because it's a wild card. Like you have no idea. I like obviously they scout him. They know what he is, but you just don't know how it's going to work. You know, guys come over all the time who are expected to be good and just aren't. Like, and and we even see this like with the college free agents. It, it drives me nuts how much of a stir and how much media go crazy for these things. And then ha- most of the time, the guys don't end up being anything but depth guys or even barely more than that. Uh, so for them, Christian Hansen, like there have been a lot of them, like Matt Gilroy. But the point is for for you to get a top four defenseman and not really know what you're going to get is pretty good. Um, let's move on to the next thing. We talked about kind of Zaitsev a little bit before. Um, this one I, I struggled with, and maybe it's not the best question. What do you think the best decision by the team has been so far? I thought about it for a bit. And my initial answer was putting Neilander with Matthews uh, just because, I don't know, you put two really skilled guys together. We saw how good they were early on. They've changed that, and then they went back to it. I'm starting to think that maybe it's... I, I have to give Mike Babcock credit for this, how he handled Frederick Anderson, because that could have snowballed and really gotten out of control. What comes to mind for you while I'm talking and you're getting a chance to think about this? I like that they've they haven't gone with that idea that you got to work the rookies in slowly and stuff like that. I like that they they haven't been afraid to have. I mean, including Bebo coming up and playing. They've had eight. They had eight rookies in the lineup out of their nineteen guys that played Sunday. I mean, that's 
that's not common. You know, they could have kept a bunch of those guys with the Marlies. They could have said, you know, Sashnikov and Brown and, you know, the guys that didn't require waivers. You're going to play more with the Marlies. Or you're not going to be on the first power play unit. Or you're not going to get, you know, Matthews and, and Nylander. There have been lots of games where they've led the team and even strength the ice time. But they've led the team in overall ice time because they're getting all that power play ice time. I think the fact that they've they've really given the kids an opportunity is what they should have done. They look like they're ready, and I think that it was the right thing to do. And I think that they've recognized that they're going to live with the ups and downs of that, but I think that that's been the best decision that they've made. And I think that we're going to see that pay dividends over the rest of the season. I think you're going to see them them start to figure it out more and get better. That's a good answer. The, the other one that, that, that came to mind for me was Zaitsev with Riley. Like, like you said, they recognize that really quick. And part of that is probably because they looked at their defense and they didn't really see many better options. So this kind of leads into the next one, um, which would be the worst decision that you think they've made. And and I think there's a few. We've talked about Corrado. Uh, we've talked on this podcast about Matt Martin. Uh, we've talked on this podcast uh, about Hunwick Polak as a pairing and how much he's used them and not using, you know, Corrado, not using Carrick consistently, not using Marincin all the time. I'm not sure which one I'd go with. It would probably be Frank Corrado because I just think on even like forget about that he's I think he can play and I think he's better than some of the guys that they've been using. On a human level, you're ruining his career. Like this is these guys, like I think we forget this is like their livelihood. This is it. They they are not trained to do anything else. When they get out of the league, that's it. So this guy's twenty three. This is a contract year. He's stuck here basically, uh, as an RFA. That would be the one that kind of comes to mind for me. What would be your answer? Well, I mean, I don't like having Matt Martin on the team. I think that he he blocks off $2.5 million in cap for a long time and a fourth-line spot, and I don't think that he's done anything to warrant that. I don't like the way that he has played. He looks okay, actually, on the penalty kill. His numbers on the penalty kill are all right, which is kind of weird because he's a big guy, but even strength, that line has just been, has been not good for most of the time. But I think the biggest mistake they've made is using their two veteran defensemen who are not that good all the time and kind of marginalizing. I mean, Carrick's gotten an opportunity, but I'd like this. Like, I think Carrick can be something, and I think that they should they should really see what he can be more than they have. I mean, I think that he should be ingrained on that third pair. I don't I don't think him sitting out right now makes any sense. And and Corrado too. I mean, Corrado should have at least played of the 27 games, should have at least played half of them. And then if you decide after that that he can't play, wave the guy, you know, move move him on. But like at the beginning of the year, why not give him the opportunity? Why not sit Hunwick or Polak? That's what they should have done. See, see if he is anything. I mean, I don't think anyone even knows. You look at last year when he did play, his possession numbers were great at, in a limited role. I think that that's the biggest mistake they've made is that they've just given too many minutes to Martin, Smith, Hunwick, Polak, and I don't see what benefit it does any of them. So on the, on the good side, they've played a lot of the other rookie forwards and Zaitsev a lot. On the bad side, they haven't gone far enough in that direction. Well, and what it's doing is it's just ruining an asset. You know, and he might just be a third pairing defenseman, but that can be something. Like, that's helpful to have a guy who's effective, doesn't make very much. And, like, the possession numbers uh, for Carrick, really good. Like, looks like he should be playing and playing consistently. And to be playing Roman Polak ahead of him, just like, it doesn't make sense big picture wise. Uh, So I think that's fair. I think the Martin thing is going to be really interesting. Do you think eventually it just, he just gets bought out or just, sent to the Marlies like it 
next year, and this kind of leads me, I think we've covered all my topics. Have we got to all my topics? Oh, no, we have one. Well, there wasn't really an answer for this one. I, I had biggest disappointment, but I couldn't think of anything that qualified because everything is kind of basically either met my expectation or exceeded my expectation. So I wanted to ask you, do has this changed anything like the the first third of the season changed anything about how you see this team in the big picture of where they are like I still look at them as being a playoff team next year I don't see it this year uh I think you know you had a piece and we're going to get to your new site but you had a piece kind of looking at what they're projected to do I think it was 85 points that probably changes a little bit after Sunday night uh but is your perception of where they are the same as it was coming into the year, or are they further ahead than you thought? They're further ahead because the kids are better than I like. They're, I thought they were good. Now I know that they're good. Like now I know that Marner's going to be a good offensive. Now I know that Matthews is going to be. Now I know that Neilander is going to be an impact offensive player, and that all three of them are. And I know that Brown is a, an NHL player. I know that just just from a third of the season, there's a lot. We have a lot more information, and I know that Zaitsev is going to be. I, I think the pitcher looks a lot better, and. You look at how much salary is coming off the cab next year. I mean, they're going to be able to really do some things. I mean, you don't want to bring in a veteran guy on a huge contract, but you'll be able to bring bring in money as opposed to having to have all these guys buried in the in the Marlies and all this stuff. So I'm more bullish on where they are. The beginning of the season, I predicted they were going to have, I think my prediction was 80 to 84 points. Right now, they're on pace for 82. I think they've been a little bit better than that, and they've been drugged down by like Enroth and Anderson having a, a tough start. You know, it looks like this year they could finish with 85 to 88 points kind of thing. And that puts you really close to the playoffs. An average NHL team's 91, 92. I think this year it's on pace for 92. It's not <clears throat> not much of a jump they have to take to be a playoff team. East is still pretty wide open uh, with Tampa having a tough start. And Washington hasn't really been that convincing. It's not like there's any team that's like, these are the best five teams in the East or whatever. I mean, it's the Leafs can get into the conversation for sure next year for the wild card and maybe more. And... They they've been better. They're 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 close, and it'll be interesting to see where they add. I mean, you add one really good defenseman to this team, and Anderson continues to play well. It's all of a sudden they're probably an above average team. Well, and I think last year I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I think they had 69 points. So if they get to 85, that's a pretty healthy jump. Like yeah. if you make that jump, and then next year you get over 90, which isn't an unreasonable jump from that year to that year. It seems reasonable. I think Anderson like that is an, a really important thing that he's gotten on track and actually looks good and looks like what they thought can he keep it up we'll see but like that's a really important development because like you pointed out uh goaltending hurt them a lot in the early going and i love when some media come around and say you're last in the conference what's going on anyway i don't even know why we should get into that but like it sets up for what they do moving forward for them to actually be right on kind of schedule and I don't know, like I can't help but looking in Long Island and seeing what's happening with Tavares and with that team. And you look ahead to 2018 and like the puzzle pieces maybe fit or, you know, even going out and getting that number one defenseman somehow. I don't know how you get that guy because that's really hard, but I don't know. They're they're kind of right on their schedule of what they said. Like, I think it was last summer. Was it last summer? The one before where Mark Hunter said like they were looking at a three to five year window to to being competitive it looks like they're right on that schedule so i guess that's what you're pointing out ideally they want to get there while matthews and marner are on their entry-level deals and then you know you can really 
So let's say this year they're an 85, 86-point team. Next year they can get into the 93 to 95 range and be a wildcard team. Then you've got one more year there where Matthews and Marner are, you hope, elite. I mean, I think Matthews is for sure going to be one of the elite offensive players in the league. You've got them on entry-level deals where they max out at a really low number. Cap's going to be even higher than it is now. I mean, there's... That's why not try and really push to be a, a really good team in that third year of their contract. Well, and that just when you're saying that it makes me think of Chicago. Uh, Chicago gets Kane and Taves 0708, if I'm not mistaken, 0910, they win their first cup. And like that's that's really fast. And like I think Taves is like 20 at that time, but it's not inconceivable, like with how good they are, they're young guys, that they can be. I don't think they're going to be, I don't know, who the hell knows. But like they can be a, a real contender, not next year, but the year after. Especially like if they're able to add and still have these guys making no money at all, right? I guess that's the point. Uh, is there anything else you want to touch on before? No, you're nodding. No, or you're not nodding. Nodding would be yes. Um, but we should talk about your new website. You've joined and are leading the athletic. I think it's been great so far. Do you want to just kind of bring people who aren't up to speed on it? Well, you know what? I think I think everybody knows what's happening with the newspapers, and I wanted to kind of be a bit proactive and try and figure out what the next thing's going to be in a new business model. And it's it's cool for me because I get to kind of a say in the direction of of the whole thing. And I'm working with the founders of of the Athletic, and I can bring in some really cool people that that are doing interesting things. Like we're going to have Jack Hahn write his first piece for us on Wednesday. And I think a lot of people will like that. He's going to do a systems analysis using video of the system the Leafs are playing. And the things he showed me is I've never seen anyone else talk about that or name what the system is or how it's working and how it's not working. We're just going to be able to get in and, and have some different conversations about the Leafs and the Jays and the Raptors and hopefully be a real presence in, in the market in Toronto with these teams. And we want to be like a sports section, but like outside of a newspaper, be 100% digital. Uh, we have an app that's really cool that I think people should download and check out. We want to go, we're going big on Facebook and Twitter. We want to be relatively young. Um, I don't know if hip is the right word because I'm, I'm probably too old to be hip, but like try and talk about sports in a different way than it than it is and try and be a, a new thing. And we just need people to subscribe. You know, the first week that I've been there has been really, really cool with how many people have signed up and we're getting to like 10, 15% of the way to where we need to get. And I'm so thankful that people are there and I hope more people sign up. I think what's really good about it is you can dig into things that sometimes like the way that media has been done doesn't get done, if that makes sense. Like there has been a traditional model of how you do sports media and frankly, like you and I both agree, it's kind of tired. And I think what you guys can do and have done is really like dig into why this works or what doesn't work and how this works. And like the video stuff, I really like, uh, obviously NBA and Zach Lowe writes for ESPN and like he presents why things are working and how they're working. So I think there's a, a good opportunity to do that stuff. So if people haven't signed up, sign up, like it's... I thought about it. It's like two cups of coffee a month is basically what it costs. So it's well worth signing up. Is there anything you want to add? The other thing that's really, really cool that people haven't seen yet, we're we're in Chicago, obviously. Um, Scott Powers is the Blackhawks writer there. But 
the Athletics going to be in more cities? I know they want to eventually go across Canada, but we're going to be in more NHL cities within the next four or five months in the U.S. And they're looking at hiring some really, really cool hockey writers, like high-profile people. You know, if we... And the thing is, with your subscription, you get access to all of them. So there's going to be some really, really good NHL writers that it's not just going to be me. There's going to, You're going to get access to, you know, I think four or five of the top 20 or 30 NHL writers in, in the world, and it'll cost you four or five bucks a month. And we just, we need people in the beginning here to have some faith that it's going to be continue to be good. Uh, I've only been there six or seven days. We're just getting started, but I'm really encouraged by by what we're doing. And if you have any feedback or suggestions for what you'd like to see us do on the site, just just send me an email or a tweet or whatever, and I'm happy to talk to people about it. Okay, that probably wraps. And I should say, like as a basketball fan, Eric Kareen's awesome. As a baseball fan, John Lott's really good. Like these are good people for what they're covering. So sign up, and uh, I guess we'll be back and try to do this in a couple weeks. But that'll be like. Christmas time so maybe we'll try to should we let's do like like just after Christmas and before the outdoor game I think is a good idea oh yes the outdoor game all right we'll be back in before the outdoor game thanks James it's there thanks for tuning in to the Leaf Report don't forget to follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle